Hi, this is Ken Fagels. I played Ken Cade in Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3 and 4 on the Great Horror Squad podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Horror Squad podcast. This is episode number 263, where tonight we are going to be reviewing Wes Craven's New Nightmare. We are toddlers tonight, unfortunately, so you're just going to be stuck with me, Joe, hosting, and everyone's favorite podcast host, Steve. Steve, what's up, man? Well, top three, maybe, but <laughs> not, probably not favorite. I'm doing good, doing good. We just had a uh, hangout, our movie club hangout with the listeners over on Discord. And let me tell you, we had a lot of fun. We watched The Greasy Strangler, which of course is a favorite here on the podcast, one we all really love. Reaction was mixed, <laughs> which is expected because it's really not for everyone. But uh, we had a ton of fun. Like it it just got crazy by the end there. And uh, thank you everyone who came by. And, you know, next month we'll do it again as we do every month. So join our discord but other than that not much going on i gotta say it's snowing again like i can't i don't know where to put my snow anymore the the snow bank where i shovel is over my head it's <laughs> over six feet tall and it's just like what What do i do <laughs> it's, it's crazy it's gotta stop that's awful we've been knock on wood we've been fairly lucky here so far this season we've only gotten maybe like a foot total for the year. So I will take that. Um, It's actually funny. uh, We're like a year removed from a storm where it dropped like three feet on us last year. So that was fucking terrible. But, you know, you just got to power through. It's the winter. Do you guys have a theme for next month, Steve, for the movie club? Have you guys come up with Uh, anything? So I don't know. I might change it up because it's, it's gotten more complicated now that we're watching it live because not every movie you're able to, it'll block you streaming that movie. So you only hear it, not see it. And it's just like, not only do I have to check if it's available, I have to check if it's working. It's just a whole thing. So I think from now on, we're just going to pick it the night of. So I'm going to like show my kind of app on screen and people can suggest movies and stuff like that which is how we picked night of something strange what we reviewed last week and turned out super good so i think you know i think that'll be the way to go from now on but i did get a request to watch something serious this time because we watched at night of something strange wreck tuma and the greasy strangler so far so uh, someone asked me can we do like a serious horror movie so that'll probably be like i guess somewhat of the theme for next month is something more along the lines of something scary i guess or maybe more of a slasher but not a just crazy <laughs> sexual uh you know deviant ex- escapade Maybe something Craven to, Maybe. Uh, you know, check off another one for our West Craven retrospective that's going to be coming up uh, later in the year, which well, I'm very excited about. I've already started t- tackling into it, and there's a lot of Craven stuff I haven't seen, so it's going to be awesome. And we're going to be doing that probably in the summer, so stay tuned. But if you aren't familiar with our retrospective series, definitely go back and listen to our Stuart Gordon one. That's one of my favorite episodes we ever did, honestly. Um, just because I got to see so many Stuart Gordon films that I'd never seen before, which was awesome. So uh, I really enjoy these retrospectives, and we're definitely going to be doing more in the future. Yeah, I saw, I saw them all now, uh, the Stuart Gordon films. It's a nice 100% completion on uh, Letterboxd, and I'm looking to do the same with Craven. Now, of course, we're going to talk about just the horror ones on this show, and I'll, that's what I watch first. 
but by the end he only has he doesn't have that many non-horror ones i'm probably gonna end up checking it out if i can find them because why not it's crazy to think that wes craven's doing like romantic films and stuff like that like becky jatem and stuff like that so i'm very curious as to what those look like and i'll definitely watch those as well yeah no definitely definitely i i saw music of the heart like years and years ago i don't remember much about it i just mainly remember the nsync song that came out of it with gloria estefan they did like a duet for the the soundtrack and it was on fucking trl all the time so all right steve so you want to get into some horror news let's do it all right awesome so once again if you ever have horror news for us we do have a horror news channel over on our discord so you know if you'd like to me to talk about any horror news that i might not have just throw it in there and i'll be sure to uh check it out first bit of news here i want to talk about is a little update on texas frightmare weekend of course that is going to be the we're calling it the official horror squad podcast meetup the whole squad is uh, planning to be there as well as a lot of our listeners i think we're up to like almost 15 total right now so it's going to be a really really great time um i just want to mention a few they're added like a lot of new photo ops recently that are going to be really awesome for the people that are going to be attending the coolest i think that they just announced is the cat they're doing a thing cast reunion and they're doing a photo op where they're uh, replicating the dog kennel um, where they're going to have like the Norris spider head in it and like the fucking dog monster thing with the whole cast. So that is really cool. They're also doing uh, Quinn Lord, of course, as you know, from Sam from Trick or Treat. He is going to be in costume, which Todd mentioned is going to be kind of weird because he's like six feet tall now. So you're going to have a very tall Sam, but it's still cool to have the actual actor that played him in character. And they're also doing uh, special photo ops with uh, the killer clowns from Outer Space Reunion, where the two actors, two of the actors that played the clowns are going to be in costume with the cast, which is really awesome. And they're doing uh, a special backdrop for Nick Castle and James Jude Courtney with the Michael Myers house. So a lot of really, really cool stuff with the photo ops. As far as guests, I don't think they've really announced anyone super new yet. I mean, James Jude Courtney and Nick Castle were the two newest additions I know of, but it's going to be a a hell of a guest list. Is there anyone you're most excited for, Steve? Personally, there's a few. Well, the the one I'm definitely the most excited for and I'm really, really psyched about is Sam Raimi. Uh, because I'm a big fan of his work and I have an Evil Dead poster signed by uh, Bruce Campbell and the three ladies who are in the movie. So to get to add Sam Raimi to that poster is just going to be like pretty much complete, right? As far as people who actually do cons. So I'm really excited about that. Uh, Ted Raimi is going to be there as well. So that's another one. Outside of that though, uh, there's a cast of the Terrifier. There's just a bunch of people. I mean, the Thing reunion, that's a what, like six of them so and the killer clowns i you know i love the killer clowns now i have their autographs i'm probably not going to meet them but just to get to see them is really really cool so and david morrissey i'm a big walking dead fan he played the governor in season three and i'm pretty psyched to add to that poster as well so it'll be a great time but really the reason i'm going is to meet uh, the listeners and just hang out with everybody i think that's going to be kind of the highlight of that weekend and i'm really really looking forward to finally going to texas everything booked and ready to go so I'm excited. Hell yes. Awesome. Yeah, I got my VIP ticket and hotel, but man, flights right now are fucking crazy expensive. So I'm hoping they're going to drop. If not, I mean, it is Memorial Day weekend. So I know that's what's kind of is killing it right now, but I'm hoping it drops a little bit because right now it's like, it's almost like 500 bucks round trip, like per person, which is insanity to me. Not, not only are the flights expensive, 
but you know more of a me problem than you problem i'm gonna go on a fucking u.s tour to try to get there because there ain't no direct flight from where i live Mm -hmm. to dallas so i'm gonna have to go to four or five different airports just to make it there so my travel day is going to be like 12 hours long Uh, it's just what a pain in the ass but that's brutal i mean to get there that's just the way it is and i'm still looking forward to it yeah oh yeah it's gonna be awesome and hopefully even more people will come down hang out it's one of the best horror conventions in the country for sure i absolutely love it and thursday they usually do special screening so if you come a day early they usually attach it to obviously like some of the reunions last year i think last year they did scream and nightmare on elm street with a lot of the cast there. And this year I'm assuming they're probably gonna do like Sleepaway Camp and Killer Clowns would be my two best guess and probably the thing. So, and there's at their new venue, there's a movie theater within walking distance to like all the hotels. So that's gonna be super uh, convenient for everyone. All right, so next bit of horror news here is Kevin Bacon returning to the Tremors franchise, question mark. Kevin Bacon took to Twitter recently to answer some fan questions. And of course the question was brought up about the new Tremors movie that is going to be made that is supposed to be getting a theater release. Now, as some people may or may not know, Kevin Bacon actually did return to the Tremors franchise when he filmed uh, the pilot for the Tremors TV series that never took off the ground, which I hope gets released one day, maybe like leaked or something like that online, uh, because I would love to see what that was like. But Kevin Bacon, uh, the fans asked him about it over on Twitter, and he said, I'm just waiting for the call. So Kevin Bacon wants to return to the franchise, obviously. I mean, seems like a fucking no-brainer to me. And with that, him kind of writing that on Twitter, I think the producers would be foolish not to at least reach out to him and make a call. But we'll see. What do you, what do you think, Steve? Is Kevin I mean, Bacon ripe for the, ter- yeah, for the return? Absolutely. It'd be amazing. I mean, Kevin Bacon, you know, he's a great actor, and I'd love to see him. Uh, come back for that now this is also a huge trend in horror right now is to bring back uh, actors from you know way back when into new versions of the properties that they're in of course scream texas chainsaw massacre halloween of course all new uh, nightmare oh god don't don't start (laughs) don't start (laughs) i'm not ready for it yet but (laughs) yeah just a bunch of them and uh, i think that would fall in line now i don't want to just to come back for the sake of coming back though Uh, i'd like to have like a good solid script and i hope they put the right people behind them and uh, make something cool so now something we haven't talked about in a very long time on this podcast but we did report on it all the way back during the pandemic was the children of the corn remake that they filmed during it not a lot has been recently released about it but finally ladies and gentlemen it is coming as we just received a release date Children of the Corns remake is going to be hitting theaters on March 3rd. They are giving it an 18-day theatrical window, and then it will be hitting on-demand March 21st. Now, I am surprised this is getting a theater release at all. Like, I'm assuming it's going to be a super limited release. I don't, I can't imagine this is going wide, but I think probably good thing for the movie that you know i guess the producers must have saw it and were happy enough with it that they're like you know let's put this in theaters or do you think this is just a a straight cash grab and they hope it'll make a little bit of money in theaters i don't know it depends on the situation like how many theaters are we talking about you know all that kind of stuff like are they doing kind of a terrifier 2 type thing where it's like 800 theaters or is it like more of a you know 10 theaters or i don't know but i 
I would think it's more of a cash grab personally. You know, the name still has somewhat of some recognition recognition out there in the horror community and they want to get get money before people realize it sucks or but I hope I'm wrong. You know, I'd love to see a great remake of this, but I don't know why I have a bad feeling. Just just the marketing alone, which we have seen the zero of, is never a good sign. So we'll see. Yeah. And uh so the movie apparently uh, is said to have very little to do with King's novel. The plot synopsis of it is uh, a psychopathic 12-year-old girl in a small town in Nebraska recruits all the other children and glows on a bloody rampage, killing the corrupt adults and anyone else who opposes her. A bright high schooler who won't go along with the plans is the town's only hope of survival. So there you go. Uh, children of the Corn remake. Maybe something we'll cover on the show come March. We'll let you guys know. If not, you'll definitely hear it on our What Watch, I'm sure. All right, next bit of horror news here is an update on Robert Eggers' newest movie, which uh, he is going to be doing, Nosferatu. Finally, I am super excited about this. I think he is the perfect director to bring Nosferatu to the screen. Recently reported that Bill Skarsgård and Lily Rose Depp are going to be starring in the movie, as well as Nicholas Holt, who we just did recently on the Met for the Menu and Warm Bodies, our Valentine's Day movie last year, right? Was it? And we're going to be announcing our Valentine's Day movie very soon for this year, which I am super excited about. So stay tuned for that as well. Well, Nosferatu has added a new actor, and it is Robert Eggers staple really there's becoming a robert agus staple and that is willem dafoe willem dafoe is going to be joining the cast here i mean he was fantastic in of course the lighthouse and the northman and i mean just an amazing actor uh, probably an underrated actor i mean i can't believe the dude's never won like any major awards because he always just absolutely kills it every time he is on screen no details on exactly what he is going to be playing but many people might remember him of course he played already played a vampire before in shadow of the vampire back in uh, 2000 so yeah uh we'll keep you guys updated on uh what he's going to play in this but fantastic casting here i'm ex- i'm so excited for this movie and he didn't he didn't just play a vampire he played count orlock specifically right uh, yes. because of course shadow of the vampire is a movie about the making of nosferatu uh, amazing film if you can find it unfortunately it's not available a lot of places from what i could see we tried reviewing it for nosferatu's 100th anniversary but it was like nowhere to be found so that really sucks now i have it on dvd thank god but a lot of people cannot find it, and that that sucks. You know, I wish that movie got more recognition because Defoe is fucking fantastic in it as Count Orlock, and Malkovich plays the director, and he's great as well. So, really looking forward to seeing this movie. I think this would be; those are great actors. He's a great director. I have high confidence that this will be fucking awesome, especially if they even just the look of the lighthouse put that like transfer that to Nosferatu would be fucking so amazing. So, yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to that oh yeah and just like his attention to detail and authenticity i mean i'm sure he's going to be using like old-timey cameras and shit like that it's just going to look really really cool and authentic so nosferatu something we'll definitely be covering on the show i'm sure i mean super excited so i think that's coming maybe next year i don't even know if they've started filming on it yet well probably not obviously since they're still casting so we'll keep you guys up to date um steve have you jumped on the last of us train yet i have i watched the first two episodes so but yeah, so far, wow, it's a great fucking show. I, I played the game. It's one of my favorite games of all time. 
and it is the like probably the best example of a game adaptation I've ever seen. They're doing it perfectly. It's very close to the source material, which is people what people always wanted in the game and they never fucking give us. But at the same time, they deviate enough from it that makes it kind of its own thing. And so far, they're doing it perfectly. Awesome. I haven't jumped on it yet, but uh, I heard I didn't know it takes place in Boston, which is cool. So that that makes me even more excited uh, to check it out. Did the video games take place in Boston as well? Uh, that, par- like, partially. Uh, partially. There's like a part of it that's in Boston, but uh, nice. it, it goes all over the place. Okay, cool. Well, no surprise. Obviously, HBO has officially ordered a season two for The Last of Us. It's obviously like one of the hottest shows on television right now. It's absolutely killing it in streaming and whatnot. So we'll be getting a second season. No surprise there. All right, next bit of news here is a little bit of Chucky season three news here as Don Messini teases more potential legacy characters will be returning in season three, we've already gotten, of course, Andy Bar- the return of Andy Barkley. We've gotten the return of Kyle. We've gotten the return of Glenn and Glenda. So who is left to potentially return? Well, Don Mancini possibly may have teased a few more people, as he mentioned, potentially Detective Mike Norris returning, a.k.a. Chris Sarandon's character. Also, I think the one that makes the most sense it would be Karen Barkley, of course, which, of course, was played by Katherine Hicks in the original. And then, of course, Tyler from Child's Play 3. So those were kind of the three names he potentially teased. What do you think, Steve? Uh, do you think, like, I don't know. Do you think the show needs more legacy characters in here? Or, I mean, I don't know. Season two was very, like, lackluster. I don't know how much more life this series has in it. Bringing back legacy characters maybe breathes a little more life for at least one or two more seasons. So I only watched half of season two because I just wasn't into it. Now I know the second half is better and I will force myself to watch it at some point, but uh, I don't think they need more legacy characters. I mean, sure, it would be cool maybe in a cameo or something, but uh, they're already ham-fisting it, the other characters. In As far as I've seen so far, like, they didn't need to bring back a lot of those characters outside of a cameo, and they don't. They really try to push him into the story somehow, and it just, uh, <laughs> I don't know. We'll see, I guess. It's funny because when you watch a show like this, you think you want to see the characters that you know and love, but when you're actually watching it, I wish they almost spent more time with the new kids than the legacy characters because at least their story is fresh and interesting and stuff like that, so... I guess we'll see. It depends how they bring him in and how much involvement they actually have. All righty. So, yeah, I mean, we'll keep you up to date, obviously. And season three, I'll definitely be watching it because, I, like I said, season two definitely was a lot weaker than season one, but did get better. So hopefully season uh, three picks up a little more. All right. Just a couple more new, uh, stories to get through here. For those of you who have VR, Eli Roth has created a Valentine's movie it is going to be called eli roth's be mine a vr valentine slasher uh you will be able to watch that for those of you of course with meta quest on friday february 10th in meta horizon worlds now for those of you who don't have vr you will be able to also watch it on crypt tv's facebook and instagram pages well, probably won't get the same, you know, thing that you would in VR, but still kind of cool. So this, of course, was written by Eli Roth and directed by Adam McDonald, 
So the movie also stars Peyton List from, she, I think most famously from Cobra Kai, if I'm not mistaken. So this is going to be a 30-minute, 360-degree immersive VR experience. It is going to follow Becca, a girl who is stalked by an anonymous maniac in a Cupid mask as she finds herself at the center of a frightening Valentine's Day nightmare so pretty cool uh a lot of people i've seen in the comments are saying he basically ripped off valentine which yeah he kind of did but you know what i mean whatever i'm all for more valentine's day horror there isn't much out there whatsoever you know except for of course valentine and my bloody valentine the two most famous ones but I'm down for it. I was not a big fan of his last VR experience. He did a Halloween movie that starred Vanessa Hutchins. That one I wasn't feeling, but I think this one sounds a lot cooler. So uh, yeah, so check it out February 10th in VR. And finally tonight, we end on a little more of a somber note, a rest in peace, of course, to the original Wednesday Adams, uh, Lisa Loring passed away uh she was 64 years old so uh thoughts and prayers to her to uh an icon definitely of the genre so uh rest in peace and someone who did a lot of cons very lately, yeah. lately especially so definitely a big loss for the con circuit and uh, she was great and it's too bad because she just kind of had a resurgence right with the wednesday show coming out uh, she also had a dance scene when she did the original Adams Family, and that's been coming back in a big way. So I feel like this would have made her more money. And now, unfortunately, she won't get to reap the benefits. And it's it's sad, you know, when they pass away so young. And from all accounts, I know a few people who've met her, and they said she was fucking just amazing. So yeah, very sad to, to see that news. And rest in peace, thoughts to her and her family. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and that is it for horror news this week. Thank you, everyone. All right. So uh, before we get into our what watch segment, let's take a little coffee break for these cold winter days. And there's no better way to do that than with Deadly Grounds Coffee. Everyone thinks because you're a zombie, you don't know good coffee. Well, they're wrong. There's only one brew that gets my seal of approval. Deadly Grounds Coffee is my guilty pleasure. The aroma is so intoxicating. It brings all of my neighbors out of the woodwork. Deadly Grounds Coffee. Coffee to die for, and zombie approved. It's good to get a little deadly. Use the front door! Oh, they're so disgusting. Ooh, I feel so warm now after that. <laughs> that that right? wonderful Deadly Grounds coffee ad. All right, they, Steve. <laughs> go they, for they, it. They had a Eugene Clark at their shop this week. so I saw that. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, one, one of our listeners and Discord members went that that's super cool i saw the pictures yeah very very cool i, I like that they have like horror guests and stuff like that uh, they're they're doing it more and more from what i can see and that just makes it even more so of a place that people should go check out if you ever happen to be in the toronto area which i think is the only shop that they have right now i might mm -hmm. be mistaken but i think that's the case right now and i know they're expanding because i talked to the owner the last time i saw him uh, at a con so Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, they, like, yeah, they do so many cons too. So if you ever see them, go over, say hi, get some Deadly Grounds coffee. Their coffee is legitimately good too. I really enjoy it. I, the Hell's Fury is definitely is my favorite brew for them. So go and support Deadly Grounds coffee. We appreciate them. So Steve, let's get into it. What you been watching this week? So much, so much, Joe. <laughs> just happened. It was a like super snowy weekend, so I just sat down and watched a lot of movies. But I'm only going to talk about two. You know, there's a lot of stuff that a is not worth me. <laughs> 
putting any breath into <laughs> because oof, I watched some shit and some other ones that I'll talk about at another time, like the some of the West Craven ones that I've been knocking off the list for the retrospective. The first one is actually uh, in relation to the episode that we had last week, uh, Night is Something Strange. So I watched another movie from that same crew. So a lot of the same actors, a lot of the same people uh, in the production unit is a 2016 film uh, that I found over on Tubi and it's called She Kills. So here, here, here's the tagline for this movie. She gets revenge the only way she knows how with her STD Satan-infected vagina. <laughs> So that is the tagline for this movie. So this movie is about uh, this girl and she's dating this kind of geeky guy and they've never had sex or anything and they're about to get married. So she's hanging out in the field topless, of course, as you do. And this uh, guy, he sees her in the field and he really likes her, you know, and he wants to, I'm assuming, rape her. But she stops because her fiance comes to pick her up. So he gets kind of mad about it. So meanwhile, they decide to get married and... During the honeymoon, as he's about to have sex, this gang of people come in, kill the husband, and then all proceed to rape um, this woman, you know, during her honeymoon and everything like that. And during this process, she realizes that her vagina is not what it seems. It is actually possessed by Satan, and it starts infecting the people that have raped her and have kind of made her their way with her. And then after that scene, they kind of go away. She goes to see like one of her friends who exercises the demon from her vagina, but that does take away the demon part. So it's no longer possessed, but she retains the power that her vagina has to attack people. So it becomes a revenge film where she goes to kill that gang of people who initially raped her with her vagina. As you can see, very much cut from the same cloth as Night of Something Strange. It is an absolutely fucking wild movie. Is it as wild as Night is Something Strange? I would say no, because it's really kind of focused on her and her vagina as opposed to all these fucking crazy elements. And if you listened to last week's episode, you know that movie just gets fucking crazy. Uh, This one does at times get that crazy, but not nearly as much. There's some weird shit in this movie as well. I mean, there's there's like a dance scene that goes on way too uncomfortably long for no reason at all it's almost like they're trying to add to the runtime and it's just a it's a weird film i don't think it's as good as night is something strange but if you enjoy that i think this would be one to check out as well so that's she kills over on tubi you stole me i, I gotta i want to see that one for sure because it sounds fucking insane and i love x and i love exorcism type movies so it sounds fun uh, all right, uh, my first one tonight is from 1978, and it is a made-for-TV movie. I decided to check it out for our Wes Craven uh, retrospective. It is called Summer of Fear, a.k.a. Stranger in Our House. Uh, this one stars the always lovely Linda Blair. You know, they're a kind of a typical, you know, everyday suburban family living their normal life, Linda you know, riding her beautiful horses and whatnot. And one day, the mom's uh, sister dies in a car crash, the husband and wife. So their cousin, the cousin, Linda Blair's cousin, Julia, comes to stay with the family. Everything seems all fine and dandy. And then Julia starts to sort of dust, doesn't seem like quite like herself. Weird stuff starts happening. 
and Linda Blair's character starts suspecting that Julia might not be who she says she is and maybe a witch. Yes, because <laughs> because Linda Blair starts, you know, weird stuff starts happening to her um, right before she's ready to go to prom. Some welts start breaking out on her face and lo and behold, guess what? Julia swoops in, ends up going with her boyfriend because, you know, Linda Blair can't get out of bed and whatnot. So, you know, very sneaky stuff going on there. And the rest of the movie is Linda Blair's character trying to convince everyone else that little beautiful innocent Julia is a witch and no one believes her. And Linda Blair needs to prove that she is a witch. Um, You know, this is nothing super memorable. It's a made-for-TV movie, so it's very... You know, cookie cutter, vanilla, pretty generic. You know, Linda Blair does a good job here, though. You know, she's really solid uh, as an actress. I mean, this is just a f- uh, what, uh, five or six years removed from uh, Exorcist. So she's a little bit older. She has fucking like wild, crazy hair in this movie, too, which was like super distracting. But, you know, she she gives like a really good performance there. It was cool. Fran Drescher is in this movie, like super young, like plays like a, a nurse. And it was cool to see her in it. You know, the movie picks up, I would say, in, like, the last half hour. But, man, like, the first, like, hour or so is, like, pretty, like, rough. Like, not rough, but it's just, like, nothing interesting really happens, really. It's just, like, Linda Blair just literally trying to convince everyone, like, she's a witch, she's a witch, she's a witch. But, like, there's, like, there's nothing really, like super witchy happening but the last half hour half hour does get pretty cool there's some pretty cool scenes in there a, a really cool chase scene at the end that is definitely the most entertaining thing i just wish they did a little more i mean there's like a cr- kind of a crazy reveal here too that i definitely didn't see coming and i thought it was it was cool but nothing great you know this is very early craven uh you know this is only i think the third thing he's ever done third or fourth movie he had ever done so Yeah, I mean, I think this was kind of just like a paycheck movie, obviously, for him to get to his next project. And, you know, it's fine. I gave it two and a half on on Letterboxd. You know, it had some entertaining moments, but not something I would overly recommend. I would say only watch it if you're a Craven, you know, completist. Yeah, and I will (laughs) one day. (laughs) Yes, you will. (laughs) Oh, and it's on YouTube, I should mention. That's where I watched it. Perfect. What if I told you that there is another? Oh, yes. Another film from the same crew as Night of Something Strange and She Kills. I had to check it out. I had to complete kind of, uh, you know, some of their big films there. So this one I actually talked about briefly last week because I'd said that I was planning to put this up as a submission for our Shark Week episode, uh, which we do every summer. We do a good shark movie and a bad shark movie. And I had suggested uh, from reputation alone that we should do House Shark. So this film from 2017, I watched it over on Tubi. And like I said, same people from Night of Something Strange. I decided to check it out because I don't like to submit movies I haven't seen. I like to kind of test the waters first before I do so. And oh boy, am I glad for you guys that I did in this case. So House Shark is about a a family. They live in a house and the uh, mom, she goes to the bathroom, you know, to take a dump as, you know, these movies always consume to start off as. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a shark comes out of the toilet and just absolutely destroys her blood everywhere in the bathroom it's a complete mess her husband comes in he's horrified takes their son and they go outside the house and live in a tent in the yard because they obviously don't want to have to deal with that 
Meanwhile, their house is also for sale. So the agents, they really want to get this house sold. But now they got a problem. They got a shark inside the house. So the agency company sends someone and the guy, they want to figure out a way to get the shark out of the house. So what they do, they hire a house shark expert because that is a thing in this movie. They hire a Sith Lord and this guy who kind of looks like Abraham Lincoln and talks like him as well, completing the group of people who are going to get the the shark out of this house. And that's basically what the movie's about is them strategizing and trying to figure out ways of how a to get in the house safely and then to get the shark outside of the house now (laughs) there are some good scenes in this some of the humor hit with me Uh, i particularly loved the sith character he was uh, actually really good and you know i thought okay this is actually not pretty decent and Within the first like half hour, 45 minutes, I was actually thinking, okay, I think I will put this movie up as a submission for uh, Shark Week because it's actually kind of fun. You know, it's ridiculous, of course, very low budget, but it's fun. Yeah, here's the problem. And this is a big problem with me very often with these movies. It's almost two fucking hours long. And that is way too long for this type of movie. Now, if you're fucking Marvel or Avatar or something like that, okay. You can do you could pull off a two hour movie, you know. But when you're in a movie called House Shark, you're not you're not doing a two hour movie and keeping my interest. So after an hour, I was just bored to death. And sure, there were cool moments here and there, but there's so much wasted time of absolute nonsense throughout this that I just can't I, I can't do it. Like I I can't s- submit this movie. It's not you know it's no cruel jaws. That's for damn sure. Which is probably my favorite bad shark movie that we've reviewed. Still decent enough, but like I said, too long. So if you want to check it out, just be prepared for that very long runtime. Uh, so how Shark over on Tubi? Yeah, I noticed a lot of these filmmakers who make these like intentionally bad horror movies. Like they just need to like get an editor or something. Like a bet, like you know, obviously they probably edit these movies themselves and they don't want to cut anything out. But man, like that and sharks of the corn like that movie was fucking over two hours long it's like man like you can only take so much and like knock it down to like hour 20 like at the most i feel like for a movie like that Uh, hour 15 is the sweet spot i think yeah for for a future like a full length bad movie or bad good movie or whatever yeah hour 15 that's the sweet spot that's when you know you can kind of wrap up your story but anything over than that it gets to get too much. Two hours, that's just way too fucking long for a movie mm-hmm. like this. Yeah. Like even Greasy Strangler, which I love, I even feel like that's even like maybe 15, 20 minutes too long and needs to get, you know, they could have cut that down a little more too. But yeah. So just a little note for directors out there who might be making movies. Uh, all right. Uh, my last one tonight, 2023 release, just released recently on over on VOD, uh, is a movie called Candyland. This one, is about we follow a group of prostitutes who are working at this truck stop on the Bible Belt that the truck drivers who come through call, you guessed it, Candyland, due to all of the uh, prostitutes and sexual uh, deviation that's happening there. Yeah, so we follow uh, three or four female prostitutes and one male prostitute, kind of like what their sort of everyday life is you know at this truck stop there's also a hotel attached so they all kind of live in this hotel and are sort of like really close best friends 
Well, one day, obviously being on the Bible Belt, a sort of religious cult comes through and, you know, says, you know, you can be saved, blah, blah, blah. And a few hours later, or maybe a day later, one of the people, girls from the religious cult comes. Um, she has decided to run away from this religious cult and kind of has nowhere to go. So, you know, this group, this ragtag group uh, kind of takes her in. And, you know, they kind of end up convincing her to be a prostitute with them. Uh, and then murders start happening, essentially. Uh, you know, there's a, some sort of murderer. Uh, have, it, I don't want to, like, say anything. You kind of know who the murderer is pretty early on. But murders essentially start happening at this rest stop and basically try to figure out who did it and also what is going on. And I'll leave it at that. Cause obviously this is a new movie and you know, I want people to see it. You know, this movie uh, has really great character building. Uh, you really like learn to uh, get attached to a lot of these characters. Uh, there's fantastic cinematography throughout. And, you know, I love, you know, religious and cult, horror movies so this was right up my alley this movie's dirty too it's like really dirty and sleazy there's like a lot of nudity obviously you're dealing with prostitution so like there's a lot of sex scenes a lot of nudity and stuff like that so it's a pretty like sleazy type movie too but it's handled for the most part like pretty well trigger warning too there is a a rape scene as well in here so some people might be turned off from that but overall i really dug this movie it was you know, for the first hour, I was like, you know, this really isn't a horror movie just because murders are happening. But the last 30 minutes, like, goes fucking really full bore, like, crazy religious slash cult type horror. And it, it, it definitely hits the mark, I think, for horror. Uh, it's, it's, it's a slow burn, I would say. But the characters are all so interesting that... I always wanted to see what they were going to do or what they were going to say or what was going to kind of happen next that, uh, you know, it's, it's great. Act, it's great acting throughout. It's, it's in my top 10, obviously right now, because <laughs> we haven't watched much this year, but I think it's going to, I would be surprised if it leaves my top 10. Cause I really ended up enjoying this one. I don't think it's going to be, you know, near my top, but it, I think it will, it will sneak in, you know, around nine, eight, I gave it four out of five stars. I, I, I think a lot of people will enjoy this one as well. I, I like I said, it, it's definitely, I could see people saying it's not really hard, but I think there's definitely enough there, especially uh, towards the end to uh, consider it for a, a horror movie. So I, I, I recommend this one for sure. And that's Candyland. I've heard good things. So I'm really happy to hear that because uh, I just got it recently I haven't had a chance to watch it yet, but uh, I was I had high hopes for this one. And I remember that seeing the trailer and thinking it looked good. It almost looked like what I felt X looked like last year. So I'm, yeah, I'm psyched about it. Can't wait to see it. it finally. I'm sorry. It, it definitely has like some X vibes to it. It actually has one of the actors from X in it as well. The dude who was dating Jenna Ortega's character is a, is a main character in this nice. one. So it, it definitely gives some X vibes off. Not as good as X though. <laughs> yeah i figure as much i mean yeah no that's awesome it's uh you know i gotta say so far this year not the greatest top 10 i have uh, so it's i'd like to get something on there that i'm actually happy about it's early it's still early so there's still a lot of year left all right so trigger warning for everybody this is about to get very intense 
<laughs> just based off conversations we had offline. So I'm really psyched about what we're finally doing this new nightmare. So Joe, you want to give us a little rundown of this, this piece of cinema? Sure, absolutely. Wes Craven's new nightmare, ladies and gentlemen, uh, came out in 1994. Uh, so yeah, so this one, you know, this one came out, you know, quite a few years after kind of the Freddy franchise was, well, a few years after, I guess, Freddy's dead. It is the return, of course, of Wes Craven finally directing um, after the original Nightmare on Elm Street. And yeah, this one, very different than I would say every other Elm Street movie, for sure. You know, this was sort of his you know, meta look at the Elm Street franchise. I mean, this, you know, we'll get into it, but this was really his, I feel like it was his sort of test to see like how before Scream, like to see how meta horror would work. So that was really interesting. So yeah, we open the movie with meeting Nancy, but it's not Nancy. It's Heather Langenkamp, the actress. So yeah, the Elm Street uh, franchise, you know, exists as just movies in this movie. And, you know, Heather Langenkamp, obviously far removed sort of from the franchise, 10 years since the original movie. You know, she's kind of, you know, I would say a struggling actress, sort of. Uh, you know, her husband works in effects, also in the Hollywood industry. Weird earthquakes are starting to come up in uh, the LA area. They've been getting a lot more earthquakes than normal. And, you know, Heather, uh, eventually Heather ends up meeting up with uh, some of her old Elm Street gang. And, you know, they're Wes Craven. Essentially what happens is Wes Craven is writing a new script and they want her to play Nancy once again. You know, while all this is happening, her son uh, Dylan is starting to essentially he's having nightmares and is starting to potentially see have nightmares about Freddy. And yeah, I mean, from there, it, it kind of delves into is Freddy real? Like uh, we'll get into it, but essentially Wes Craven kind of is saying he's been having nightmares and the only way to stop them is by writing this script. Cause Freddy is trying to enter into the real world. And then you know, reality and the movies start to sort of blend together. And yeah, I mean, we'll just leave it at that. I mean, if you've seen the movie, you'll know. But yeah, I I don't know. Uh, Steve, I guess you you can lead us off here. I, uh, I know we're going to have very differing opinions on this movie, so go for it. Yeah, it's very, very different for sure. I'd seen this a few times, you know, and this is one of those movies that I revisit, I'd say, every like five years thinking I'm going to change my mind as to whether I like it or not. Because in the past, by memory, of course, I didn't have Letterboxd at the time, I did not like this movie whatsoever. And then I revisited thinking, you know what, maybe I was judging it on, you know, too harshly or unfairly, which is the same thing I said for those who listened to this podcast when we did Freddy's Dead, which unfortunately Joe wasn't on. I said the exact same thing where, you know, I'm going to give it another shot. And same thing as Freddy's Dead. I did not like this very much at all now do i think it's better than freddy's dead i would say yes by a bit by like just a tiny bit but uh, i would say it's a little bit better there's just i just don't think it works you know i i like the idea of this film 
but I don't feel that the film works because the rules are kind of all over the place. The acting is not good. I'm sorry. <laughs> Other than Heather Langenkamp, I think the acting across the board is bad, which is especially bad when a lot of these people are playing themselves. <laughs> like Wes Craven, Robert England don't play good versions of themselves, which is crazy to me. Like you're, it just blows my mind. And just, there's just a lot of stuff that I, you know, and I'll talk about the specifics more after Joe goes that I just thought was just dumb, to be honest with you. And I, the worst thing about this whole thing, this whole experience, I find the movie kind of boring because it takes a fucking long time before anything meaningful happens. Uh, Freddie is not in it for a good while. And uh, other than popping up very briefly at certain times, specifically in some scenes like uh, the funeral, but it's just, I don't know. It, it, it didn't work. But like Joe said, I, when I was watching it this time, I definitely got early scream like vibes to it. Like I could see that this is where Wes Craven was starting to brew the scream idea. And obviously screams fucking fantastic. So I'm, I'm almost glad he did this before and kind of, you know, shook the cobwebs off that idea because there are some great things, but this is like the failed version of, of that. So I, yeah, I did not like this at all. All right. So I'm, I'm kind of opposite Steve here. I think this is one of the better Elm Street movies out there. And mainly because I think this was the absolute right way to go for this franchise you know, after five and six, I mean, those both those movies were just terrible. And they really made Freddy into a joke. You know, he was there was no horror left in Freddy. He, he was just, uh, you know, a character at that point. So, you know, they kill off Freddy, obviously, with Freddy's dead. And they obviously the fans want more Freddy and Craven. You know, they obviously asked Craven to come back and Obviously, they were like, do what you want, <laughs> you know, Wes. And he did. And he he took a swing. And, you know, I said this in my letterbox review. He swung. You know, he took a hard swing. And I, I don't think he hit a home run with this. This movie obviously definitely has problems. No doubt about it. But I think he made really solid contact. I, I think this is, you know, it, it, it was a risk. And I, I respect him for taking the risk. He, he tried to do something very different. And... It was cool. I, I think it, there's a lot of fan service here and I'm a Freddy fan and I enjoyed it. I enjoyed seeing, you know, Heather Langenkamp playing herself and Robert England playing himself and Wes Craven. I mean, playing himself. It was great to see, you know, Heather going into the new line offices and seeing, you know, Bob Shea and there's just so many fun cameos and then, you know, callbacks to that original movie that I, I enjoyed it for for the most part. I, I definitely have issues with it for sure. And I know Steve's we're going to get into it because Steve I'm sure has a lot, but overall I thought albeit, albeit this movie obviously is definitely too long at almost two hours and it definitely does drag at times and the lack of Freddie, I definitely recognized more going. I probably, I probably haven't watched this movie fully in 15 years, maybe, you know, I've seen bits and pieces of it here and there when it's on uh, TV or I, I did an Elm Street like watch party years ago where we'd watch the entire thing. But um, I think I was like half paying attention during once we finally got to New Nightmare. But I mean, I think bringing Scary Freddy back was was great. 
you know, there's there's really he's a very dark character in this. I also thought there was like pretty good dread in this movie. I thought uh, the score I thought highlighted that. And, you know, there are some goofy moments, but I thought overall, like there was like definitely I definitely felt like a darker tone to this movie overall. So overall, I think it's a it's a pretty solid movie. You know what I think the better film would have been, in my opinion, of course, right, is basically that opening scene. I wish they were making a new Freddy, like a new Freddy movie, a new Nightmare on Elm Street movie, and shit started happening as they're making it. Shit's going weird with the props, and then you have all the people still there, obviously, because they're making a new one, and they start killing off the actors, and you know they don't know what's going on. I that first scene. Even though all we really get is the robotic glove that starts attacking people, I liked more than a lot of the stuff that we saw in the rest of the movie. I thought that would have been the better film is the making of a new Nightmare on Elm Street rather than the writing of a new Nightmare on Elm Street because the whole script thing was just went right over my head. Now, maybe there's some deep meaning to that all that stuff, and I'm sure Joe will, will have caught it if, if there was, but it's just... I didn't like it at all. You know, the whole thing, he's just writing it. And all of a sudden that's what triggers earthquakes for everyone in Los Angeles. I don't know if that's just, but they do it a lot. They do a lot of fucking earthquakes. Like it's almost an earthquake movie, more so than the Freddy movie for the first hour of this. It just didn't make sense to me. You know, it's just, that was not good. Heather Langenkamp is also way too quickly convinced that Freddy's coming to attack her. You know, it just, she's been living with this franchise for 10 years. Uh, you see her go to talk shows and stuff like that. Now, presumably, this is not the first time she's done talk shows and, you know, Freddy events and conventions, stuff like that. So why now, after one dream, she's all of a sudden like, okay, this is absolutely happening to me and very real. Now, I get there like coincidences that she notices, but it's too quick because she wakes up from that dream. Her limo driver calls. She hears something on the vo- on the phone. She doesn't think a, a fan's messing with her. No, of course, that's implausible. The real plausible thing here is Freddy's probably coming after her to kill her. I, I don't know. What, what do you have to say about those? Sure. Yeah, I think, obviously, I, like, she's way too convinced too too quickly that, yeah, like, Freddy is coming to get her. I think it should have been more of the stalker, right? Like, that she had, clearly. Like, she should have been more scared about that the earthquakes make sense to me based on the story because essentially the earthquakes are happening because freddy is is ready to erupt into the real world so that is why we are getting the earthquake so it makes sense is there too many in this movie absolutely like it just happens way too often you know we didn't need like 20 earthquakes you know we would have gotten the point if there were just like two or three you know and i would have been cool with it so i do agree there's just way too many earthquakes in it albeit i think it does make sense as far as the script writing goes i mean it's interesting right like you know wes is having these nightmares and he's writing them down and it's the exact story is being written like as the movie is happening. It's interesting. Like, you know, is it, you know, crazy far-fetched? Sure. But like, you know, you just kind of go with it. I, I was able to just go with it for this movie. Cause it is, you know, it's, it's fantasy, even though it is supposed to be taking place in the real world, but I don't know. It didn't really bother me. I thought it was kind of a cool, interesting thing to do. Now, as far as the acting goes, I think Heather Langenkamp is great in this movie, actually. And maybe it is because of the rest of the acting is bad. I mean, this is her best role, probably, like she's ever done. Like she's, you know, because one and her acting in one and three are, you know, 
fine, serviceable, I guess. But I think she elevates this movie uh, a lot. And I, I, you know, I, she, I mean, we follow her the entire movie. She is obviously the star of this movie. She's hardly ever off screen. And yeah, I, I thought I thought she was great. I, you know, England. I thought Craven was fine in England. Like they didn't bother. Their acting didn't bother me really. I thought the husband though was was terrible. I thought he was just a horrible. I think he's one of the worst parts of this movie, along with. Sadly, Dylan. He, you know, he's a kid. I get it. But man, he was good in Pet Cemetery and like all of his other like kid acting roles. But I don't know if it's like just a script in this, but man, there's some really cringy shit with him. Um, like him pretending to kind of be Freddy, I think, at points, like making these weird voices and shit like that. I yeah, I just I could not stand him. He was annoying the shit out of me a lot of this movie. Yeah. So uh, what'd you think of Dylan? <laughs> Hate him, hate him, and yeah. you're right. Like I, I fucking love that kid. Like he's great in Pet Cemetery. He's great in Kindergarten Cop. You know, he he's a good kid actor in this movie. Ooh. Like, but I agree with you. Like Heather Langkamp was fantastic, but him, whew, I could not stand him. This movie is way too whiny and over the top. And yeah, I just I wasn't into that character at all. And I almost wish he wasn't in it. It was more about Freddie attacking, you know, Nancy or Heather Langkamp, I guess, in this movie than the kid but that does, i did really love the whole like talk show thing seeing all the like the, the freddy fans and the merch and stuff like that and speaking of robert england i kind of wish they did more with him you know if like it's just you'd think he'd be more involved because it's his character that's attacking but he just disappears he, he's like he's he paints for some reason and then she's supposed to go see him the next day and that's it that's that's it for for it's just such a disservice well, he, to yeah so i i agree like uh, and you, you just had made me think like would the better movie have been if freddie was coming after robert england like right like his character like attacking him which that would have been kind of cool could have been interesting but i mean obviously i get it nancy is you know kind of the the final girl so it, you know it made sense to follow her character you know, I mean, he was having nightmares too, right? Like, I basically all of the original characters were having nightmares that, you know, were, you know, all the legacy characters, essentially. And when he did that painting, I think it made him realize that Freddy was coming, like, into the real world, which is why he ends up going wherever he disappears. He, you know, he's like, yeah, you know, we might not be back for some time, <laughs> you know, on the uh, the voicemail he gets. But I also find it found it funny. That we, uh, when Heather goes to do the talk show with Robert, he comes out, everyone loves Freddie and stuff. And then it pans to what you actually see at conventions, a million fans, you know, clamoring for Freddie's autograph and Heather just kind of standing there with her arms crossed. Even though she, nowadays Heather's gotten super popular at cons, but still England, of course, is the star uh, of the franchise and always will be. So, yeah. But yeah, I, mean, I don't know. What, what else uh, you got did, here? Did, uh, so do you find it made him look weak a little bit? Because he does so little to like fix the situation, and he just really he he pieces out. <laughs> like, he this does. whole thing is happening to her, and from one of his character, he's obviously like going through something as well. Like you said, the painting, which I, I'm gonna talk. I want to talk about the painting after, but it's I have like weird notes for the end. You know, just questions I have for you. And then no, he just he pieces out, and you don't see him for the rest of the movie. And I don't know that that was a weird choice to me, but uh, it is what it well. Is. I, I think a lot of it has to do with well, he had to play Freddy too in this movie, so you <laughs> yeah, know, I know but you have <laughs> but, him um, for the movie, <laughs> like you know, right, it's not like no, he wasn't available. Absolutely, I mean that would have been cool if they could have gotten someone else to play Freddy, and then and then Heather 
and or like he they could have did like you know how they kind of do split screen things like with the movie magic but like could have been Robert and Heather fighting Freddy together. I mean, which is why, like, that's another reason I just don't think Dylan was necessary here. Like, I understand, like, it's a mother trying to protect her son. Freddy attacking, you know, your child is, is a terrifying idea. But I, I just, I, yeah, I, like, I think I think you're right. I think the better movie here is, like, Heather and, and Robert fighting Freddy off together rather than Dylan, who no one really cares about <laughs> anyway you know like he's never been in the movie so yeah i kind of agree with you i think that would have been a, a cooler idea do i have a problem with robert piecing out though not really like because you know he knew shit was about to hit the fans so he got out of dodge i mean can you blame him <laughs> like you know he just, wanted to like, live. if i'm robert england and i read the script i'd be like fuck seriously <laughs> like can't <laughs> yeah. give me something better than this like i've been carrying your franchise for 10 years and what you yeah. give me is I just leave the movie because I'm too scared of what's going yeah. on. I wonder what he thinks about that. I, I'm sure people have asked him about it. I, or maybe not. I don't know. You, I mean, you don't really hear too many people talk about New Nightmare. I know it does have a pretty, you know, uh, it's definitely a divisive movie. Like, I think it's either a like it or hate it type movie. There's really no in, in middle ground with this movie. Absolutely. Now, speaking of Freddy, of course, one of the controversial things, I guess, is that he looks different, right? He's wearing a trench coat. Uh, his makeup's a little different. It's it's not like we're used to. Now, I personally, I don't think the makeup is great, but I personally get why they did it because they had to separate, I guess, the fictional Freddy from the real, quote unquote, Freddy. Um, so I thought it was fine. Like I said, not the greatest makeup ever, but I, I appreciate that at least it was recognizable enough that you knew that was Freddy but different enough that, you know, okay, this is new Nightmare Freddy. So I thought that was cool. It just, and I like that they're trying to go for the more sinister kind of dark Freddy that the original Nightmare on Elm Street was all about. And that's something, that's what I wanted to see in a new Nightmare on Elm Street was a darker, especially after fucking five and six, you know, just absolutely ridiculous Freddy. Uh, I just don't think they necessarily succeeded. It he never really scared me all that much because he was still kind of goofy a little bit. And we'll talk, we'll talk about the whole end sequence where she actually fights him, which is where you get to see Freddie, you know, uh, more than anything. So what do you think of the costume, the makeup and how scary he actually is? Yeah, I think it works too. I, I, I do think the makeup is a little weird though, for sure. But I get it. I, I totally agree with what you said. I think the trench coat was a really cool touch. I do like the trench coat look with Freddy here. I fucking love that the glove thing, how it's not an actual glove. It's like his actual hand with like the blades. I think that looked fucking badass. I loved that idea. I think though, like facial wise, they could have did better. I think he could have been more, it could have been more demon like sort of like we see in Freddy versus Jason when you get that demon Freddy thing that would have been really a cool look for here it's just like too like artificial looking right it almost looks like a mask and it yeah I think it, it definitely hurts it a little bit but overall I, I, I like the look I don't have a massive problem with it is it the best Freddy makeup obviously not I mean I think parts three and four are the absolute best Freddy looks, in my opinion. I mean, I know a lot of people love one and two as well. And five, I think, is his absolute worst look in the franchise, probably. But yeah, I mean, it, it, it's it's cool. It's fine. I, I, I got no issues with that, really. Yeah, you're right. Like, it, it wasn't his scariest makeup, <laughs> you know, which is ironic because he's supposed to be kind of at his scariest here, I would think, because he's 
you know, kind of the demon Freddy. So I don't have a lot of notes from the middle of the movie because I find it really just doesn't do much. There's not much happening in the middle of the movie. She goes to the morgue and somehow just fucking walks in the morgue. Mid, you know, they're doing fucking autopsies. Mid autopsy, they're just like, yeah, come on in. Yeah, we'll we'll show you the body. It's no problem at all. Uh, super weird. Then we have the funeral, which is we get to see Freddie do a kind of attack. I don't that was know. a cool scene. I like cool, that. It was a cool scene, but I don't know if it was earned at that point. You know, it just <laughs> it was so out of place. It was very short, and then you don't see mm-hmm. Freddie for a while again after that. It was you do, yeah. Like, I, I did note that um, that is like, I think the only time we see Freddy until I think like an hour and 10 minutes, which is long. I mean, that's a long time before you see Freddy. Now, I, I but I, I didn't hate all the middle and, and build up. Like, I think the movie, you know, is building up for finally being able to see Freddy. And I, I mean, I get it. Like, I can see why people would hate it or wouldn't like that. But I just really enjoyed seeing all of the legacy characters come back. Obviously, you know, Robert, Wes, Bob Shea from New Line. And then, of course, John Saxon, who I thought was really good in this movie. Yeah, even great. though <laughs> in, 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 a, in a limited capacity, you don't see him much. But I, I thought the playground scene was cool with, like, the two of them talking. And then kind of Dylan being on top there, highlighted by the score when he is, like, which I thought was great. I think the score in this movie is great which I think I already mentioned, but it's a great score. It's very like um, haunting sort of choirish, um, religious sort of stuff. It's, it's creepy. But yeah, I mean, I, I can see why people would be turned off because you don't get a lot of Freddy in that first hour. But I, I was okay with it. Like, you, cause you get little pieces of him, right? Like, obviously the husband's death. You know, you don't see Freddy, but Freddy's glove, you know, attacks it, which I thought was a pretty cool death. One of the better ones in the movie, um, which doesn't have a high body count at all. Which yeah, I'm I was sure going to say, do. like, that's very little body count in this movie. Yeah. For, mm-hmm. yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, I was okay with it because I think if you are a, and I know you and Todd aren't the biggest Elm Street fans out there. And me being the probably the biggest Elm Street fan on the show, I was cool I was just I was just enjoying what I was seeing with all of the old legacy characters coming back and all that stuff. So yeah, that's why I dug it. And just for the record, one and three masterpieces. Uh, <laughs> you know, the rest good. Not, some of them are pretty bad, but that uh, sure. I'm not a big fan of the later Elm Street films. Let's put it that way. Sure. Yeah, I, my problem with the middle is just it's too much of just basically Heather trying to convince people that this is happening. And then getting their, the cameos in, and then the kid like constantly doing these weird noises and going into trances, and I don't know. It just I was bored, you know. And that that was kind of a problem. And I, at a certain point, I'm like, okay, is Freddie going to show up for this thing, or like, what's this whole thing leading to? Which leads to a final confrontation between uh, Freddie and Heather and Dylan. So what did you think of the final kind of battle between the two in what was very obviously a set? (laughs) Very obviously a set. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, before we get to that part, I did want to mention the hospital scene, which I think is one of the best scenes in the movie. You know, it's Freddy finally sort of enters the real world. Well, before that, actually, he is, you know, he does have an encounter with Heather, you know, which was, you know, pretty good. But the hospital scene, I think, is where Freddy really, really shines in this movie. You know, Dylan, you know, is being... Essentially, we come to find out that Dylan is having 
all of these sort of psychosis moments because of sleep deprivation. He's having these nightmares about Freddie. He's not sleeping and whatnot. And, uh, you know, they say due to that, he's having sort of psychotic episodes sort of um so they're kind of you know having observations they of course drug him uh which is like a really seems really shady but you know they kind of I, I guess i i understand why they did it because the kid had to sleep um but yeah heather isn't there the babysitter is and freddie you know enters finally the real world sort of and uh kills the babysitter you know it's very similar of course to the the tina uh, death from part one which obviously you know is an homage as you know Wes does a lot of homages to part one in this movie because at one point I remember Heather's running down the hospital and the nurse says where's your pass and she says screw your pass like she does in part one with the hall monitor which I thought was was fun and the phone, um, the phone lick like uh, yeah and the, and the phone lick yeah, yeah right yep and then of course at the, the when we get to the the very ending where uh John Saxon has now turned back into her dad and Heather has be- has become Nancy again. And we see the Elm Street house. Uh, you know, that was all kind of cool. It's kind of Freddie playing tricks, I-, I suppose. But that part does get a little confusing. I can understand why people might be a little, what the hell's going on here. But I think it's just kind of Freddie playing tricks in the real world is how I took it. But I, I-, I think that, that the- as far as kills go, I think the hospital scene is, is the best kill in the movie, um, you know, dragging the babysitter, you know, up the wall and, you know, it was cool. I, I really dug that scene. And I think that's where probably Freddie is at his scariest. And then Freddie at his worst is the fucking freeway scene. <laughs> oh my God. What a rough scene. I mean, I get it. Like, oh man, it's just so obviously like green screened and shit. Like it just looks so fucking bad. And you know, the idea of Freddie being up in like the sky sort of was like cool, but man, it just does not look good (laughs) with today's standards. No. And you're right. Like the hospital scene is where it starts to pick up a little bit. And Mm -hmm. I was like excited to see that it was starting to feel like an Elm Street movie and but yeah, after that, they lost me. Between the uh, freeway scene and the entire final sequence in, I don't know, the castle area or the fuck slash, I don't know what well, the hell they were in. <laughs> so like Freddy is supposed to be this ancient demon, right? Like right. that's kind of how Wes describes it. So like we end up in his sort of, I don't know, like where he was conjured up or whatever, like his sort of house. I, I didn't love the set like design at all for this final battle the coolest part was when heather you know takes the sleeping pills to go into the dream world which why is she going to the dream world if freddie's supposed to be in the real world now i don't know you know i mean that's where it starts to get a little hazy but she takes the sleeping pills to go save dylan and she you know she jumps down into the bed that now has like this huge opening and she comes out of like freddie's mouth it's like this water fountain thing i thought that was cool that's like the coolest part of the set design for me is like the water fountain freddie mouth i i didn't love the closing scene and that is my biggest complaint with this movie that's why i said you know west swinged for the fences and he may not have hit a home run but made solid contact and the fact that he didn't hit the home run is in this final end sequence it is very lackluster it is not a great final battle and mainly because he just like he did like the whole fairy gretel and hansel fairy tale which we have that you know scene where you know uh, i get it like heather's reading dylan the uh, hansel and gretel fairy tale and then they fucking just like mimic it in the in the final scene and it was lame (laughs) yeah well when he tries to eat him (laughs) 
<laughs> it's so goofy looking and it reminds yeah. me more of like the later Nightmare on Elm Street films and stuff like that. And then you just, it's just the whole thing didn't feel like fun. You know, it's just so lame. Uh, yeah. Freddy didn't feel like scary anymore to me. You know, he just grunts and he like uses his claws to, you know, make noise and he doesn't he never do felt like a threat. No, at all. Like, yeah. and there's this super goofy scene where his leg is hurting. It's a fucking demon in the dream world, but his head is, <laughs> he's got like trouble like walking, he's limping. And then they go into a slow motion shot of him limping while he's running, you know, Dylan's running away from him. Like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> it was so stupid. And then, so finally, they bring him into the furnace, you know, of course, because it's the Hansel and Gretel kind of tale that they're retelling. And they eventually trap him in the furnace and there's all these snakes because sure <laughs> and um yeah they they close the door with him in the furnace but they don't lock the door they don't put something in the fucking like groove to no he could have just literally slid the door back open and gotten out no problem at all but no he stays in there and turns into a, like a demon i guess that's and then his head blows up uh the whole end sequence was just like it was just about to start to get me again and then right back down like okay i remember why i don't like this film between the concept and all the stuff this scene is just this is where it could have gotten better and it just didn't yeah i I agree i mean this honestly this movie could have been like one of my favorites in the entire franchise had this ending nailed it and uh, yeah, unfortunately, it, it doesn't. I I think that's the problem with a lot of the French, uh, the Elm Street franchise. The final battles with Freddy are never like that great, you know. Like they're always a little disappointing. I guess part three, except Freddy versus Jason. <laughs> I don't fi- even that remember. final battle. Oh, the Freddy versus Jason, Jason battle. Yeah, it's <laughs> great. Yeah, that is high <laughs> entertainment for sure. Right. But yeah, so yeah, I yeah, I I think Wes could have did something better with this. You know, I think they thought, I mean, the set is, it's an impress, even though I don't love it, it is an impressive set. Like it's, they spent a lot of money definitely building that thing. It just looks sure, too but, fake. You know, yeah. It's, it, it's, am I mistaken that it's the same set that we saw at the beginning of the film? Maybe. I, yeah. It, it would make sense, right? If she's dreaming. It would make, dreaming. it would make sense. I, I don't, yeah. I mean, it's quite possible. I, so, I you know, I, and that's, I didn't that's, put that that's together. how I, uh, how I like tried to in, like, make it okay in my brain is that he's using the set from the movie that Wes had essentially written, right? Mm-hmm. So I was kind of accepting it, but it looked bad because when I'm very obviously, I don't know, some movies they just it looks like it could be a real thing. This so looked like a set, just the way the fire is, you could totally tell it's a canister that's just shooting like gas and fire. You know, it doesn't look like natural. It just didn't look good and. I just added like the the boiler room would have been awesome. You know that you'd be keeping with Freddie and I know they want to do something different, but it just didn't work for me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't the best, but I think this is a much better way to kill off Freddie than part six. Like at the end of the day, I mean, like, I, I'll take part this. Six is so bad. <laughs> yeah. God, it's bad. Oh boy. All right. So, and then the last thing before I get to some of the kind of more offbeat questions that don't really have anything to do with the film or a little bit. What did you think about the end end where, so they get, they kill Freddy, they're spat out of the bed again, and she sees the script on the ground, and she reads the last pages of the script, which is the lines that they're about to say, like they haven't said those lines yet, and then they close it, 
And he's like, read me a story. She opens the script up again and starts reading him the fucking script that just like terrorized her for the entire movie. I was like, what the fuck is going on? Why would she read the script to that kid? Why is she putting that script in the fire to get rid of it? It made no sense to me. Yeah, I mean, like at the end of the day, like they defeated Freddy now, so they're like, there's nothing to be afraid of, I suppose. So it's just a story again, I guess, is kind of what they were going for. I was fine with it. Like I, I, I didn't hate it. Like I, it, it just, it made sense for the rest of the movie that they were basically working on the script to find, find, you know, Heather finally defeated it, and you know, Wes even had his little note in there that says, "Thanks for playing Nancy," you know, one last time. And he wasn't really writing a movie. He was writing, I guess, the end of Freddy, like to de- finally defeat this, this ancient deity or whatever. Which, or was he? Was, or he? was he just writing? Is this just? Is she just reading the script as if, okay, so that's the movie, <laughs> you know, as if the, the whole thing was just her reading the script essentially for the next movie and she's just reenacting it, you know, maybe she's playing, <laughs> maybe she's like pretending maybe. they're under the covers, pretending that they're in the uh, mm. the dungeon as she's practicing her final role as Nancy. All right. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm trying to justify this fucking bad ending somehow. And that's, <laughs> that's what I could come out with is the whole thing was just her reading the final Nightmare on Elm Street film. Interesting. And she was just reenacting it with the kid. That's why the kid's in it. You know, her kid's there and they're just, she's using the people she knows. She uses her husband. She, you know, people that she knows to kind of make it make sense in her head. And the whole movie is just basically her reenacting and reading the script. You can go that way, I suppose. I never really thought of it like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. but... <laughs> it could be, it's uh, probably totally wrong, but that's how I try to justify it. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean that's definitely not how I would perceive how I perceived it. But hey, there's no there's no wrong theories, I I suppose uh, here. Yeah, for sure. Okay, a few like dumb questions that I had to just as I was watching this. First one. Now you're you're only five years younger than me, but I'm sure you're old enough to remember just how fucking dangerous uh, playgrounds were when we were kids. Do you think realistic that that playground looked like death and our parents would send us to fucking death playgrounds the same way that we're all fucking metal and rust? And it was basically like, you're gonna if you're going to survive in this world, kid, <laughs> you have to Absolutely. survive this fucking rusty playground. Absolutely. Yeah, no, like I felt that was super like realistic. I remember like the slides that used to bake in the sun and you go down and you get third degree burns like on your fucking legs if you weren't shorts. So yeah, totally. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I had a one playground in particular. It was a McDonald's playground. I'm telling you, man, you you send your kids there the same way that like, they send that Leonidas and 300 out to for the wolf. You know, it's like, if you can survive this playground, you're probably fit for this world. If you don't, well, we tried, you know? So yeah, it was crazy. And if you go to a playground now, oh my God, it's just, it's not even fun anymore. It's just totally like, it's too safe. You know, these kids are just growing up to be uh, too safe. Uh, my other question so speaking of the Robert England painting in this movie, how much do you think a Freddy painting from Robert England would be worth uh, today? It's a great question. One like that, oof, man, sky's probably the limit. Uh, you know, I know like Freddy, he, if you ask him, he will draw like little characters of Freddy. I don't know if you've ever seen those in autographs he's done. It's pretty cool. Not very detailed. Takes him like 10 seconds to do it. But those autographs, I I think, go for a little bit more. As far as a painting like that, who knows, man? Like, you know, I could see some crazy Freddy fans paying like 50 grand for it, maybe. Maybe more. Who knows? Yeah, it's it's pretty detailed. The fact that it's like 
painted by Robert England. I think, yeah, I think 50 grand would be, uh, would be fair. I would, I would assume. And, uh, my last question is since we're talking about the nightmare and Elm Street franchise, of course, as we talked about before with Kevin Bacon, everyone's coming back doing their franchises, uh, Robert England, not getting any younger. So what would you think, what, what do you think we need to see as a final Robert England led nightmare on Elm Street? Because they, this kind of ended the series, right? Other than Freddy versus Jason, which was kind of a spinoff. What do you think they need to do if they're going to bring him back for one final film? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a it's a great question. You know, I think you would probably go the route of something similar to Halloween or Scream, right? Like sort of like this, I suppose, but like not base it in reality like this, where sort of, I mean, you can't bring Heather Landcamp back though. You'd have to ignore part three, obviously. So it would have to be like a direct sequel to the original movie where maybe like Heather is a mom now and her kid is starting to get nightmares, you know, all these years later and Freddie's, you know, returned after all these years to once again, stalk the kids of Elm street. Yeah. Something like that. I, I, I suppose, you know, I, I, I can't think of anything better right now, but you know, I think bringing back, you know, Heather one last time would be, would be cool to see. And yeah, I mean, I think England, he did, he for years said he, he was done, but more recently he's kind of warm up to maybe playing Freddie one last time. I know that the Craven estate finally got the rights back and they've just been holding on to it for the past few years, saying that they're waiting for the right script to come. I know a lot of big directors are out there clamoring for it. I know Elijah Wood really wants to do it with his production company. And Michael Doherty has also expressed interest. I'm sure Blumhouse is really clamoring for it. So I think it's, if it's going to happen, it needs to happen like now, you know, like you cannot wait, especially if you want Robert England to come back. He's what, 70s now. And I know he's got bad arthritis because he's barely, he really limits himself at cons now, which makes it even more impossible to meet him unless you have a VIP. So yeah, I mean, if you're going to do it, do it like within the next year or two or else Robert England's never coming back and being Freddie. See, the way I would like it is, was it Peter Jackson that wrote... Uh, nightmare on elm street treatment for yeah i forget which i think it's freddy's Hard, i think it was six yeah yeah mm-hmm. uh and the treatment i think was a great idea that would work now um so it's basically freddy's like become kind of a joke because he's weak and it's gotten to the point where he's such a joke that kids are like shooting themselves with some kind of drug that puts them into the dream world where they go like essentially like tease and make fun of freddy and stuff like that so recognizing that he's getting weak and losing his power he trains, like, essentially passes the baton to a new dream demon. Like, he picks someone, makes them a new dream demon, and then they both go on a killing spree as he's, like, fading away. Uh, so that you get him, but you explain why he's weaker than he was, and he's not as fucking jumpy as he was in previous films, but you're also continuing the franchise into the future. Or should the franchise just die, you know? For, for some reason in horror, I feel like it should go on forever, but non-horror, I'm like... Like, I never want to see another Back to the Future. I don't think there should be another Indiana Jones if Harrison Ford passes away. You know, like, for some reason, I'm, like, very protective of non-horror, but not so protective about horror. So maybe they should just end it with one last Elm Street film. I don't know. It's, uh, what do you feel? Would you like to see it end? Do you think it should end with, with like, Craven and, well, not Craven anymore, I guess, but uh, with Robert England being 
still alive or do you think you'd like to see it going forever yeah it's tough because like Harfins is so protective like over robert england being freddie and he is freddie you know to be fair i i think there's a lot more life to be breathed into this franchise though even without him honestly i think there's so many ideas and cool ideas they could do you just need to find the right actor obviously to play play freddie i don't think jack earl haley did a terrible job like i just think it was the wrong it was the wrong movie the wrong makeup or cgi effects on him Mm -hmm. Uh, you know i i think you gotta still pay homage to that original freddie and kind of have the same type of look even with a different actor you know, or, you know, similar, at least going in the complete like opposite direction just didn't work. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, you know, attribute obviously the new, the slasher 80 slashers to the new universal monsters. And I think they are always going to be around, you know, there'll always be Texas Chainsaw movies, Freddy movies, Halloween movies, Friday the 13th movies, you know, they're all, and, and Hellraiser movies, you know, they're always, those guys are always going to be there one way or the other, because they make money, you know, and the studios are going to keep making them. Now, Elm Street definitely has been the one that has been falling behind compared to all these other ones, well, for Friday, sure. Friday as well. Well, Friday because of the lawsuit. Yeah, you know, if there wasn't right. a lawsuit, we probably would have oh, had sure. already yeah. two or three or more. And the lawsuit's over now, and they're making a television series and a movie. You know, they're coming. So I, I, I just, I don't know what the holdup is with Elm Street. You know, I think possibly the remake scared away a lot of people you know i don't know how much money that movie lost or whatever or didn't make but for whatever reason you know people there you know there's just uh there's so much money to be made you know freddy's one of the most popular slashers of all time so i i think it's just a matter of time before we get another elm street movie yeah hopefully we get you know like you said before robert england uh, passes away and right uh, who knows, you know, but in the meantime, we got a ton of other Nightmare on Assault movies that we'll eventually review as well. Um, I just checked. It actually made a, quite a bit of money. Did uh, it? Yeah. The, the, the remake? The, the budget was $35 million and it made 115 Wow. So, I mean, yeah. it was, I think even though it was paid, it's, <laughs> it's in the eyes of the fans, right? Rather than right. financially. So I, I'm not, I don't know what the fuck to hold of it. Maybe they're just looking for the right script. Maybe the Craven Estate is actually doing their due diligence and being like, if we're going to do this, it's got to be good. It can't be, right? you know, Halloween ends. <laughs> right. God, just keep David Gordon Green, please, away oh, from Elm Street. Oh, my God. He, if he's going to ruin Halloween <laughs> and The Exorcist, he better not lay a goddamn hand on Nightmare on Elm Street. Right. Oh, man. Yeah. All right, Steve. Should we rate this sucker? Yep. Yeah, you go ahead first. Oh, yeah. All right. We'll give. We'll let Steve get the, his sh- shitty ass grade in last, I guess, just, just to leave a, a sour taste in everyone's mouth. Uh, all right. Um, I I thought this was a good movie. You know, I think it after if I were to rank, like I'm not going to rank the whole franchise, but after one and three and four, I would probably put this next over Freddy versus Jason. I would. I think over Freddy versus Jason. I would put this over Freddy versus wow. Jason. Yeah. I think this is a really unique story and you know, you don't see this too often. Nowadays you see it more, but back then you didn't really see something like this. It was something different. Craven, you know, took the risk. I think for the most part, it worked really well. Would I like to see more Freddy in it? Sure. And was the ending the best? No, but overall, I think it's a great Elm street movie. It's, it's solid for the, the, the legacy 
it was great to see, you know, all the legacy characters back. So it's one of my favorite Elm Street movies overall. I give it a three and a half out of five. Yeah, I am clearly not at all there. I think Freddy versus Jason fucking wipes the floor with this one. Like, I love Freddy versus Jason. It's such a fucking fun movie. So it's not even the same ballpark for me. I rate this one, one and a half. So I rate it higher than I did uh, Freddy's Dead, but it's near the bottom of the barrel for me in uh, Nightmare on Elm Street movies. I just did not like this really at all. Uh, potential it had potential but it didn't and again like i said in my letterbox review i'm gonna watch this fucking thing in five years thinking you know what maybe i was rough on it last time i'll watch it again and then probably get disappointed all over again and it's a endless cycle with me so there you go uh to be fair i i, I would probably rate freddie versus jason about the same rating you know it's been a while too i mean i have to revisit it i my opinion might change after i rewatch it but there's some goofy shit in that movie that is tough for me to get past, which I'm sure is your opinion on this movie for sure. Um, it doesn't have Dylan in it though, so maybe I would like it better. I, you know, cause Dylan definitely sucked in this movie. But all right, yeah. Uh, any last parting thoughts, Steve, before we we wrap this up? No, I'm glad we got the two worst Nightmare on Elm Street films out of the way, <laughs> uh, in my opinion. So you know, it's only up from here. I think next one will probably be Freddy versus Jason if we do. Nightmare on Elm Street in the future. Yeah, because, I think so. We we're, were thinking about it for this one, but we decided to go New Nightmare instead. Just to, yeah, we, because we... this, so this one, the reason this came into conversation between like the squad is that we saw it on a lot of well, maybe not a lot, but a few. Um, what was it decade lists? The nineties list. Yeah, yeah the nineties the list, and that, that shocked me because I think this book is just like hot, <laughs> hot garbage. So I, you know, I hey, wanted gonna, to revisit it. So and, it's got like a 3.4 on Letterbox. So yeah, I, I know most, I, most people agree with me. <laughs> I know. And mo- most people that I follow agree with you, you know, mm-hmm. but me and spoiler a lot, spoiler Todd. Yeah, also, Todd hated this. <laughs> he hated it more than I did, which I'm kind of sad he kind of didn't, couldn't be here this week. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad I rewatched it, but it's just not for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we've pretty much almost, did the whole Elm Street franchise? Oh, we got one, two, and that's it. Left one, two, and Freddy vs. Jason. No, uh, that we've done we, them all. No, we didn't do five. We did three and four. Oh, yeah, we didn't do five. Yeah, that's right. Yes. And, yeah, because we did the remake. We did, uh, yeah. yeah, we did three. We'll, four we'll get to them all remake. at some point. Yeah, I think. And so. we got the think... Craven retrospective, but the Craven right. is only one and this. So, this, yeah, one and this. Uh, I think part two would also be a great discussion. Oh, as yeah. Well, I'd love to do part two as well. <laughs> I yeah. like part two. See, we if you don't like part two, we're reversed because I actually think part yeah, two is we, better than people we would be re- credit for. We we would be reversed. I think I, I don't hate part two, but I definitely dislike it. I, and that's one another one where I'm like maybe after multiple viewings I, I'd like it. So you know maybe I'll start to turn around on it eventually, but we'll see. All right, I think that's about it. Also, speaking of part two, Mark Patton, I know he's been in the hospital. And you can donate uh, to him if you head over to uh, his any of his social medias. He's battling um, AIDS, actually. And he was at a hospital stuck in Mexico, and he's trying to get over to back to America to better hospitals. So I think at this point, like it, he raised way more than was even expected. So great on the Elm Street fans to come through for him. So uh, thoughts and prayers for uh, Mark Patton as he's dealing with that. And that will wrap it up, ladies and gentlemen, for our new Nightmare episode next week. We are reviewing 2023's Skinamarink, which uh, I cannot wait to watch this, honestly. It seems to be a very divisive movie, and I feel like 
it could be a divisive episode for us too. You know, I think there there could be very differing opinions on it. None of us have watched it yet, but uh, what is it? Hit it in VOD, Steve, or is it already out on VOD? Uh, uh, no, it's actually going to be on Shutter uh, February second. So yeah, awesome. But, mm-hmm. All right, very cool. So if you have Shutter, make sure to check out Skin Marine. Get ready for next week's episode. But in the meantime. You can check us out on any of our social medias, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, The Horror Squad Podcast. You can also email us anytime, The Horror Squad Podcast at gmail.com. And the absolute best way, of course, is our Discord. Just send us a DM through any of our socials, and we'll get you a link over onto the Discord to join the amazing horror community over on our Discord. Yeah, Texas Frightmare Weekend coming up in May. Come join us for all the fun there, as a lot of us will be there for that. It's going to be a great time. And that is it. So we will see you guys next week for Skinamarink. See ya. Bye. Let's bring him out. He is the best of the bad. Let's say hello to Robert Anglin. Oh.